This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that never, ever makes forecasts. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, sighing, is Dr. Anirvan Mahanti. G'day, Doc. <laughs> Good day, Captain. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm, you know, I'm excellent for a lot of reasons. I'm excellent mm. because I'm still improving. I'm excellent because I never, ever make forecasts. I hate forecasts. Forecasts are made to be have wrong. I, right? Have I ranted about management guidance recently? Because if I haven't, I, I may well. I'll try not to do that. <laughs> Although, let's see how we go. See how we go for time, mate. If I'm, what if I, I'm, I, I don't, you know, what I mind most about management oh guidance no, yeah. is you make the guidance and then you can't keep your promise. Yeah, but that is just, but that's the bizarre. But that's the problem in the first place, right? Like yeah, you shouldn't make a forecast. You, if you, you started it, me on this one yeah. now. Go on, you, you give me your view, and I'll give you mine. Well, okay. So, first, forecasts are hard to make. Yes. Right. And, you know, all forecasts are based on some sort of model or yes. your model is in your head. And I say that all models are wrong. Yes, you do. <laughs> so, so since all models are wrong, you know, you're likely to get your forecast wrong as well, you know, because they're coming out of some, some model is spewing out some data. So, yeah. And, and then market hates it. Absolutely market hates it because you gave them a forecast, you gave them a promise and you yep. broke your promise and nobody likes management that breaks promises. Mate, there is nothing more stupid and more, 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 more just banal than management and analysts doing this stupid dance around forecasts. Mm. Management is stupid enough to give a forecast. Analysts are stupid enough to believe it. And then once they've both done that, analysts hold management to it. The management feel compelled to go and deliver that forecast. It just I've been in businesses where you get to the second quarter or the fourth quarter of a year, and so you go and do stupid things to make sales so you can deliver a promise you made 12 months ago when you really had no concept of what's going to go on. I defy anybody to look forward 12 months and say, in December of next year, Here's what the competitors are going to be. Mm. Here's what the pricing is going to be by those competitors. Here's what my customers are going to demand. Here's what the macroeconomic environment is going to be like. It is just absolute freaking ma uh, madness. I just, it, it's, it's just, it's dumb on so many different levels. And you know what? There are some people who will say in response, no, no, management should know what's going to happen in 12 months. So it is just, if you believe that you've never worked at any senior level in any company ever, you just simply can't, there, there is no possible way Management can know, and any management who hits guidance, you know what they've done? They've managed their business to specifically achieve that guidance. Mm. They've sacrificed long-term sustainability. They've sacrificed long-term potential to get a short-term number to keep the bloody analysts happy, or they've just been very lucky. But either way, it is just mm. it is it is madness personified. Mm. So mm. we're going to talk about that, okay? <laughs> with, with some specifics, and I'll try not to rant anymore. <laughs> Fools, it's very early and I've already ranted. I, 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 I would I would apologise if it was unusual, mate. Uh, I, I assume our listeners are pretty much used to it by now. So hopefully at least we're entertaining when we rant. A if good not, rant. A good rant is If we're not, right. you've already switched off and you don't care anymore. So either way, <laughs> the fact you're still here, we appreciate and we'll, we'll assume that's that's a positive. Mate, we're all gonna talk, also going to talk about, now speaking of forecasts, hmm. our banks. They are woefully under-provisioned. I'm, I'm bearish on banks for a whole lot of different reasons. I'm going to not even necessarily forecast doom. I'm just going to outline why I think investors are getting bank valuations wrong and frankly why bank CEOs are also giving us a bum rap. C Captain, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to interject there and I'm saying, okay. can you explain to our reader, our listeners, yes. what under-provisioned actually means and I why will. is it a problem? I will in a minute, but I'm going to firstly finish my intro and then okay. I'm going to get to the specifics. Okay. Okay. We're also going to talk about some shorted stocks. You've got a list of shorted stocks that you're... Mm. I'm not sure which way you're going. I'm not sure whether you're going to you're going to side with the shorters or or, or take the take the opposite view. But we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about shorting, okay. and we're also going to answer a couple of mailbag questions and comments. One from Ian, one from Stephen, and the forecast question came from one listener, John, who also tweeted. So it's a mailbag heavy episode this one. Mm -hmm. But we first, because because you asked, mm -hmm. and because I wanted to rant about mm -hmm. it, I will talk about our banks now. 
people ask me about investing in the banks. In fact, it happened on TV just recently. I'm occasionally on the Your Money channel, which is the old Sky News business. Uh, Your Money, Channel 95 on Free to Air or Channel 601 on Foxtel. And I was asked about the banks. I was asked about what I thought about them as investment options. Now, I've got some issues with the banks on a couple of different levels. There is the very real chance that house prices crash and you're on record as saying mm-hmm. you either think or hope they will. I'm not sure which. Maybe well, both. I, I, I'm just being pragmatic and I think that, <laughs> I think that they will drop. Uh, I, you know, I don't hope. I own a house and I have, you know, so, you know, my wealth will be affected mm-hmm. or my virtual wealth, which I count. Your paper uh, wealth, yes. Uh, paper wealth yes. Uh, will be affected. But, but uh, you know, I'm just being a realist here. And I think that, they, you know, the house prices are just way too high. So that's possible. Mm-hmm. The second is the Royal Commission may well recommend and or the government or opposition may well be even more draconian and, and make some significant changes that hurt the ability to earn profits. Yep. Those, two are, those two are real and possible. Linked to the first point, though, is what I think is a real issue that most investors are completely missing. And this is what we call provisioning. Now, you asked what provisioning was earlier, Doc, and I I, I ducked the question while I did the rest of the intro, but I'm coming back to it now. Mm -hmm. What you have to do as any business, if if you're a business that sells things on credit, it doesn't have to be loans, but let's take take a very simple example. If If I'm an apple grower... Mm-hmm. And I sell my apples to Coles and Woolies and to uh, Doc's, Doc's Vegetable Market and a whole lot of other places. I I, I might do 100 bucks worth of sales. And then from experience, I look at that 100 bucks in sales and say, okay, well, who's actually going to pay those bills? Because we don't, you don't give me cash when I sell them to you. I, I send my apples to Woolies and Coles and to, and to Doc's Fruit and Veggie Market. And I say, look, you've got to pay me in 30 days' time. And I take a risk, and this is almost every business other than those who basically accept credit cards for, and cash from consumers – you assume that your you hope your your customer is going to pay you back at the end of that time. So at the end of the month, I send you an invoice. Say, Doc, I sent you 100 bucks worth of apples this week, uh, this month. Um, I'd like my $100, please. Now, you're a good bloke and you're, you're, you're very credit worthy, so you'd pay me. Mm-hmm. And Woolies and Coles will pay me. But there'll be some who maybe won't pay or who have traditionally haven't paid. And I wouldn't know if I've been in business for any length of time that maybe about 2% of my sales never get paid. Mm-hmm. I make a sale to Scott's Fruit and Veggie Market. Scott goes broke, leaves the country, skips away, takes the apples and and runs, Mm. and I never get the money. Mm. And so I have to make an allowance for what they call in the trade bad and doubtful debts. In other words, debts that either are unlikely to be paid or simply aren't going to be paid. And that comes off my profit, as it should, because I'm simply not going to get paid for the goods I've provided. Now, if we go to banking land, banks have the same sort of thing. In this case, they actually, their their, their inventory is money. Mm -hmm. I lend you a hundred bucks and I expect you to pay the hundred bucks back plus interest. Mm -hmm. But I know that some of my customers are going to go broke before they pay me back. Mm-hmm. And so I have to provide in the link in the lingo, make an accrual for in the lingo. I have to basically put on paper, hey, a certain proportion of these customers aren't going to pay me back. Now, banks are really, really, really bad at this because over many cycles, you will see that before <laughs> the year, the two years before the next crash, there is horrible underprovisioning because they look backwards and say, the economy's in great shape. It's been going so well for, say, 27 years, to pick, mm-hmm. a, pick an arbitrary term that happens to be the Australian, uh, the Australian boom. Mm-hmm. Banks look back and go, everyone pays the bills. We don't have to allow much for bad and doubtful debts. Australians are great at paying their debts. It's all fine. And then, of course, at some point, and who knows when, there's a shock to the economy. Unemployment goes up. Maybe house prices fall. Uh, maybe p- people too, t- take out too much on afterpay, as we talked about mm-hmm. last week. And all of a sudden, they can't pay the banks back. And every single time, in every single cycle, the banks don't have enough money in that provision, in that accrual, in that allowance for those bad debts. And all of a sudden, they have to jack that up. And when they do jack that up, profits fall through the floor. Mm -hmm. And we realize, shock horror, the banks aren't as profitable as we thought they once were. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Bad and doubtful debts are at relatively historic lows. Mm -hmm. 
as if there will never be any bad debt problems in the future. And if you believe that, you believe in both Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy, and probably the Easter Bunny as well. And if there are kids listening, those are all real things, of course. Uh, but but as adults, uh, you believe you're going to get a present from Santa as an adult this year. You probably believe the banks have enough provisions. Now, I have heard argued that maybe the banks are obliged to have low provisions for some accounting arcane reason. At the very, very, very best, if that was absolutely true... Bank CEO should be coming out and saying, okay, here's our provision, but we know it's too low. We're not we're not comfortable with it. So investors should be thinking about this as a higher number, even if we don't put it in the accounts. Here's what you should think about a, a reasonable bad debt amount over the cycle. Of course, they're not doing that because, hey, that's not good for the share price. So I, I am bearish on the banks. I'm not short the banks. I'm not expecting a house price crash that you are, Doc. But I will say people are absolutely overestimating banks' ongoing profitability. And that bad debt expense is going to come back and bite you if you're not careful. So please, if you own any significant portion of banks, please think about diversifying your portfolio. If I'm wrong, maybe you miss a bit of money. If I'm right, it will save you from really significant loss over time. I just think Australians are way, way, way too... Concentrated. Well, yeah. And, and frankly, just just not, not risk aware enough mm. when it comes to the risk of the financial system because we've had 27 years of, of economic boom, right? It's, it's, mm. it's, very, it's very understandable why people might say, it's fine. We're not going to have any trouble. Mm. When it comes, we won't recognize it because it's been so long. The one thing I'll, uh, I'll add to what you said is that- It can't be in the way. I've ranted for ages. I, I know, but there's, this, there's, there's one thing. I'll simplify it. Oh, Actually, right, for right. a change, I'm going to simplify something. Okay, okay. You know, so when right now the PE of a bank yes. might look, so PE is price to earnings, right. might look- Some like, sort of value of yeah, measurement of value. A measurement of uh, bank value. It might look like, oh, it's 10 and it look might might mm-hmm. look like it's 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 great, right? And $10 it, for every dollar worth of earnings. Yeah, and yeah. that might seem that you're getting a good value price for it. But the problem here is, as Scott was saying, that if the E is inflated because they have not done enough provision mm. at some point that e might actually which is the earnings will yep. shrink and if the earnings shrinks then the pe by definition actually yep. right now will look it's it, it could go up by double or triple or right. something like that so and paying ten dollars for a dollar worth of earnings is pretty attractive yeah. if, if that ten dollars only buys you 50 cents of earnings then you have a problem all of a sudden the PE goes from 10 to 20 yeah. and it looks pretty expensive yeah exactly thank so, you for simplifying that that was wow. so much you could, you could have saved your listeners five minutes of me ranting if you'd said that at the beginning. Well, this it? is the first time it has happened. <laughs> <laughs> it, won't, it won't be the last fools, I'll and, tell you what. And, and it won't happen for another year, maybe. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Man, now speak, speaking of ranting, I, I, I mentioned Apple last time and I mentioned it kind of almost, almost, almost... Uh, just dragging Apple into everything. I was a little re- I was a little reluctant to mention it last time. I will mention it this time, though, because it kind of is important. And we started by talking about forecasts. And Apple, look, if you're generous, you'll say that Apple is being more realistic or somehow maybe it's, maybe it's seen the light. If I'm being less generous, I'd say they're kind of trying to hide the truth or at least shift the focus of the market. Mm-hmm. But either way, Apple have stopped providing forecasts for, is it iPhone sales? No, not forecasts. They're not going to give out. So it's not about forecasts. Right. It's they're not going to give the unit sales. They were the only um, smartphone manufacturer or hardware manufacturer, yes. which used to give unit sales for Macs and iPads and, 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 and the iPhones, okay. that they have decided to stop. They'll still give you... The uh, the revenue numbers, they'll give you the margin numbers, but they would not give you the unit sales. Now, mate, I'm not exactly a cynic, but I do like to be a little bit sceptical. Convince me that Apple weren't just giving me the unit sales when things were good, and now things aren't quite so good. They're trying to hide what's otherwise less good news than it was. Aren't, aren't they just being a little bit 
a little bit kind of, you know, isn't it a little bit convenient to give the numbers when, when you want to make a point of it? And when you want to kind of not talk about it anymore, you just say, oh, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would not deny that. I mean, you know, Steve Jobs, who uh, at you know a long time back used mm. to make this a point that you are the only one who give you the number, nobody else gives you the number because <laughs> you know our numbers are growing. So, so I mean, the fact is, if if you're an Apple investor, if you follow mm. Apple, you would know that. Uh, the core business of the iPhone, that's not going to expand. And if you right. believe that it's going to expand the iPhone sales... I'm talking about unit sales. Unit sales, right? uh, unit sales uh, over time mm. significantly, then you're deluding yourself. That's right. not going to happen. Right. Right. But what's also... I mean, but it doesn't... The corollary is also true. It does not mean that the Apple unit sales are dying. Apple unit right. sales are just fine. I mean, if Apple is selling, you know, one year 200 million phones, another year maybe, you know, 195 million phones, right. it's still... Because if you've got an iPhone now, you're probably you're not going to rush out and buy a new one because the old one's probably yeah. pretty good. And there's not a lot of pure innovation anymore in, in handsets. So you're going to wait till the end of the cycle. And you're probably going to buy another iPhone because you like the last exactly. one. Exactly. But you're so, not going to get a whole lot of... Yeah. You're not, there's not 100 million people out there who are desperately waiting to get yeah. their first iPhone. Yeah. And the couple of things... The thing to remember here is the iPhone base has expanded. Mm. The number of people using iPhones is estimated to be mm. about 800 million. There's a solid gray market. Like, you know, people like me who buy an iPhone every year. I sell yeah. my, you know, phone after a year. And right. there's someone who buys it, right? right, right. That person could be a new iPhone user. Mm. That means a new person joins the ecosystem. Apple does not see the benefit of it immediately, but over time it will, right? right, right. So, so there's an expanding gray market. There's an expanding user market. Market. And then there's, you know, some mix of old people, old people who have been in the ecosystem right. buying new ones and new people coming in. And so I think there's no impending doom of the the number of phones uh, being sold mm. or number of units mm. being sold disappearing, mm. uh, catering. It's just a case of there's no no solid growth there. And therefore, it doesn't make sense to actually give those numbers. Give me the revenue numbers. Mm. And that, you know, that tells me your pricing power. If you're able to grow you your revenue. It doesn't make sense, but there is still a sense that they are hiding that number because they don't want people to look at it. There, there's, it's, it's, not, it's not purely a case of, oh, look, yeah, we, we, we could provide it, but it's just it's not worth our while anymore. They're, it's hard sure, to argue sure, that you, they're doing you, it for deliberate you, reasons. You, right? you could provide it. But I mean, my, my point really is that at the same time, whatever it is doing, Doing, it mm. has also been able to grow oh, yeah, its, sure. its uh, revenue. I mean, it's got sure. tremendous pricing power. It's got a tremendously solid user base, and there are multiple ways in which it can uh, it can it can um, you know monetize them. And but isn't it just an own goal then to for all of that stuff? We're now talking about the fact that they're going to hide some numbers. If they just simply said, "We're going to keep providing it," but here's the here's the thing to focus on. We wouldn't be talking about it right yeah, now, but, right? Yeah, but I think here's the here's the deal. They did try that by breaking out the different segments right. and we're trying to get people to... So, I mean, this is where the analyst chase game happens, right? Right. The, the thing is that Apple is basically valued as a hardware company, <laughs> yeah. right? Apple gets the multiple that, you know, you'd give to a Seagate or, you know, another hard disk manufacturer of 10 or 12 or 13 or 15. Samsung or something. Samsung or something like that. Right. But Apple is not just that. Apple right. is a consumer brand. Apple is a, is a software maker. Apple sells services, right? Mm. So they're trying to basically shift the narrative, which, you know, and in the inter mm. inter intermediate mm -hmm. time. I mean, this is part of I guess the job of management to to tell their oh. side of the story, uh, and they're doing that. I'm uh, going gonna, gonna to disagree with you violently there, mate. I I am so sick of management teams trying to massage share prices and massage no, messages. I'd rather them say, "Here's what's going on in the business. What the market decides the shares are worth is completely up to the market." I'm not going to try and play the analyst dance, the uh, analyst I, game. I would say that Apple is an exception to this. This works most of the time. Mm. But Apple is an exception to this rule, mm. largely because Apple has enjoyed a lower share price, uh, sorry, a lower multiple yep. than compatriots, which I would say, in my view, yep. is completely inappropriate. But isn't that and, the point? Oh, but, I, but even but it's not management's job to to assume what the multiple should be, right? That's, no, no, no. It's that's not job of the investment it's, community. Yeah, it's not. not it's, yeah, but it's the management's job to at least explain to the community. I agree.
agree with that. What the business is. Yes, which and they've done, right? Try to, and, and therefore try to get the story across that this is what <sighs> our business is. Our focus on our ecosystem. Right, but they've done that. But then hiding the data is a, in, that, that's that's not just explaining. That is that is trying to massage a message uh, to make your point. I would I would much rather Apple say, so here's our business, and if you don't like it, we'll buy our shares back. But that's but that's which, a, which is what which is then what they've been doing. Right, but but that's that's the job. Of, to my mind, that's job management. Yeah, you know, I'll use I'll use Berkshire Hathaway, which is a very extreme example because Buffett is Buffett, but. He doesn't give analyst interviews. He doesn't. He doesn't go out there and try and massage the share price. He just says, "Here's our business. Here's what we're doing." You know, th- this is this is me explaining what the business is. I either either buy the shares or don't. And if it's undervalued, I'll buy the shares back. I'd much rather Apple say, "We think the market is missing the point of what the business is," and so we're going to buy back our shares. But which they've been doing. So I think I don't disagree with that. They have, that's what exactly what they've been doing. They've but been buying back the, their but shares. It's the message of trying to massage no, the analyst community. No, no, no. So they're telling they're telling the analyst community, look. You are focusing on the wrong thing. Nobody else, Google, when uh, Microsoft mm. gives out unit sales numbers. Yeah, but it's the removal of those unit sales numbers that is that is. I, I hate when I see man, any management. This is not about Apple. I, any management team who says, "Hey, hey, look over here," right? It's uh, it's the case of if you gave unit sales numbers, keep giving them. And if the market keeps getting it wrong, buy back the shares and make a fortune for your current shareholders who get the message at the expense of those who don't get the point. That's an entirely different story to saying, we will try and change your mind. We will try and massage the message so strongly that we, you know, we, we're going to try and drive the narrative here and therefore impact the share price. That shouldn't be any management's job, right? Be clear about the message. Be clear about the, the business. Be clear about what you think the, the strategy is and let the market do that. It's not, it's not management's job in any business, I don't think, to be trying to massage a share price because what we end up with is share prices are too high for exactly the same reason. And Apple is not the worst example of this, by the mm. way, by a long, 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 long shot. We've got businesses on P's of mm. 30, 40, and 50 because managements have have, have sold yeah. this really ridiculous story where they should be concentrating on the business and letting the market do what it does, which is value those companies. Mm. Well, anyways, in this case, I would disagree with you and I would disagree that I, I think Apple has done the right thing. They should have done this a long time back. Um, and, and, you know, they, I think get it to me in my mind, actually seeing the margin numbers on the individual segments mm. and seeing the revenue growth. And, you know, if, if, if anything, you know, there are other things that I might be more interested in seeing, you know, average revenue per user, for sure, example, sure. if they gave me that, that'd be more interesting. Totally. Like, the, the, the point is that I think most analysts, mm. I would say Apple is highly followed, but most people mm. actually don't understand Apple. And and this is, and 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 I. But I, don't think, I, I think they help the understanding by removing data. Is my is my. Um, yeah, probably, but I think those same people are not going to understand anyways. Sure. <laughs> they, they, that, that's my point. Right. So that's, that's when the company so, says, "Okay, so, we'll put our money where our mouth is and buy back more shares." Yeah, which right? is what they've been doing. I mean, they, you know, they, you know, they've been they have one of the biggest buyback programs uh, out there. So mm. I, I, you know, again, I, I mean, for for what it is worth, I, I I don't see. I love this management team. I think this is one of the best you management do. teams that exists. We couldn't accuse you of being unbiased, mate. Put it oh. that way. Well, you know, as I have said, <laughs> over long time, you know, three, five, ten year periods, yep. this this company, which yep. is a hardware company, yep. has beaten to the punch, you know, software companies like Google. Hmm. So, so I mean, you know, this, this has company is a company which is really special, and I think it's it's a it's a brilliant company which does a lot of things in a very different way. Um, and I I would I would love to agree with I do agree with all that. I just I think they do themselves a disservice. By, by doing things like taking data away, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right? We could be do, having a lot of conversations about Apple right now, except now we're having a conversation about them massaging so some numbers here, here, to, here's, to present the, here, here's the thing. In, if you look at the conference calls, the conference call essentially goes goes about this. Oh, what's the, you know, everybody's fascinated with the unit sale numbers. Everybody's fascinated with the average sales price, yep. right? And, you know, it takes away, you know, nobody's asking, okay, how many people do you have on your ecosystem? N- nobody's interested in that. So, so I think you know, trying to trying to t- 
take the conversation to that side is I think useful but anyways I mean you know I think people can surmise if if they give you the revenue numbers and the revenues are flat you know that they didn't sell more units <laughs> I, I mean it's yeah, it's, totally, it's, it's totally. not that hard no, that's right true. so you can't really hide it if you're not selling more units you you can't hide it and people know that they're not selling more units which mm, is also mm, obvious mm. so anyway all right as always I'm right Motley fool money Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, we're going to we're going to go to some member questions. Uh, so that that was a response, by the way, to John who tweeted us uh, an article on Bloomberg talking about that unit decline uh, and or the, sorry the, rem- the removal of, of the unit reporting. Uh, so John, thank you for that tweet. It gave us a good chance for me to uh, again show Nirvan that I'm right and he's wrong. Uh, we got another one from. Excuse me, from Ian. You just own the wrong stock. Ah, allegedly. I I own Berkshire, mate. Berkshire owns Apple, therefore you work for me. Um, We got a question from Ian. Ian did exactly the right thing. He's listened for a long time, obviously, because he started with a compliment, and he knows we love our compliments. We are nothing if not... No, we're not actually that egotistical, but it's always nice, right? Uh, What I'm going to tell, you know, uh, Ian, is that you should share our link to all your friends. I would have thought so. If you love the podcast, do, share do, your yourself, links. do share your friends link. a favour. Exactly. Don't even help us. Do your friends... We, yeah. we, do, we do this in a phone box with one listener, quite frankly, and thank you, our mothers, for listening. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's very much about... Uh, share the love. Uh, share the love. So Ian starts with, uh, guys, I really enjoy the podcast and learn a lot from it. Today you asked, this is a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago. Today you asked a feedback, re what financial products we might like to learn more about, which is exactly the question I asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks ago, you talked about dollar cost averaging into ETFs. I appreciate you can only advise in general terms, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on combining a margin loan with regular savings and dollar cost averaging into an ETF. Man, that's a good combination. I remember mm. reading somewhere that Buffett advises against borrowing to invest. Mm. However, if I have a long-term horizon and a healthy risk appetite, would that not be a good strategy? Ian. So, uh, <laughs> tell me, Doc. So ETFs were, were a big yes. tick on. Yes. Dollar cost averaging were a big tick on. Yes. So the third leg of his Ian stool. Mm, can no. he can he sit on a can he sit on a stool with three legs when one's a margin line? Well, look. Okay. So you can sit on any sort of stool if you want to, right? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you can you you can balance yourself. But you're, here's you're the problem. You're killing my analogy, dude. But, but keep going. <laughs> but here's here's the problem. The problem is that if you have a margin loan, yeah. And and it is the same, right? The market markets can stay down longer than you can stay sane. Can remain irrational longer it, than you can remain solvent. Sa- exactly. Solvent. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I just no, it's the same. It. Down and sane, I think is exactly the right. Uh, <laughs> so I just changed that. Let's call it. No, I like know, it. Docs like version. Yep. But, but that's the. I think that's the problem, right? Yes. I mean, if you can borrow at a low rate yep. and you can invest at the market at a higher rate, mm-hmm. that's you know, and we know that markets, you know, if you can borrow at three percent and you can grow your money at like eleven percent or ten percent, then I mean, that's a fantastic hey, hey. Hey, hey. But the problem is that the market is does not go up in a straight line, mm-hmm. and then you might get a margin call or you might get nervous yep. and then you might sell out exactly at the wrong time and that's why we said you know yep. it is uh, you really need to know a lot about your own um, ability to tolerate volatility and yep. share price movements and how you actually are as an investor and just quietly learning that with a margin loan is, is not the is way you want to learn that not, and, and <laughs> here's the thing right even the most experienced investor yep. feel the pain yeah Totally. And then the pain is so much more painful right. than, you know, the gains that it is just, it, it's one thing to say, I will do it yep. and I can do it, yep. but it's another thing to actually do it. This is one of those things that, you know, walking the talk is very hard. Yep. Uh, I'm going to add a few things to that if you don't mind. So, Doc. please. So, so, the first thing to Ian's point, when Warren Buffett says, don't do something, uh, <laughs> the, I, I often say that uh, every now and again, I disagree with Warren Buffett and that's when I know I'm wrong. Uh, you know, the, the, the or very, when you disagree with me. 
I mean, he owns Apple shares and I own Apple shares and you don't Apple shares, but that's this different point. Let's continue. If you own Berkshire shares, we could talk about it. Oh, okay. so, well, only, sure. only one of us owns Uncle Warren's company. The rest is all derivative. Um, so, yeah, we, we, look, here's the thing. Ian, I, I think on a, on, a very, on a purely intellectual basis, I think you're right if you could meet a couple of criteria. And the first would be if you knew there was going to be no margin call and you knew the cost of your borrowing was going to be less than the return on the market over time, then yes, at some level, you could argue that. In fact, purely intellectually, if I could bring my entire life's investing forward to today, if I knew I was going to invest, let's pick a number, let's pick $200,000 over the next 20 years, right? Let's just pick that number. If I could do it today rather than 10 grand a year for 20 years and I could get the full compound value of that today and I knew that I could get a return which is going to be in excess of the, of the cost of borrowing, then intellectually, mathematically, of course I would do it. There's a couple of, there's a couple of problems though, man. And, and this, is, this is the hard part, right? So it's a bit like the 90% of us that all think we're above average drivers. Mm. Everybody thinks, yeah, 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 I hear what Doc's saying about the risks. I hear what you're saying about temperament, but I'm the exception. I'm the guy who's going to be okay. I'll be all right. Now, if you get a, a situation where you get a margin call, and, and margin calls are brutal, brutal things. Mm. If you've borrowed, by definition, you haven't got the cash to meet the margin call. And if you're borrowing and you have got the cash to meet the margin call, then you're silly because you might as well use that cash, which is cost-free, rather than paying interest on a loan. Mm. And so you're kind of in that situation where net-net, if you are net in debt and that margin call comes, the bank is going to force you to sell shares at the then prevailing price, which can be very, very low. And as we know, if you've got a half, a 50% margin loan, for example, if your shares fall 25%, you're wiped out. And this is, this is the real challenge, right? The, the, the dollar value that you lose if the market falls, and frankly, the market falls 20% once every what, Doc? Two or three years? Yeah, probably four years, maybe. So you know, when you get yeah. that sort of when you get that sort of price fall, it is going to wipe you out entirely. And as as Doc says, at some point you go, "This is fine, I can cope with that." And it's down five percent. Oh man, that sucks, but I can cope with that. It's down ten percent. You're like, "Man, this is almost going away." Down fifteen percent. You're like, "That's it. I'm selling everything because I don't want to. I want to stem my losses." You've done exactly what you didn't want to do, which you've magnified your losses. You've sold out, and again, and you're probably thinking, "Yeah, no, I'm not going to do. That. I'm not that guy." But again, to Doc's point, even the most professional of us have seen this happen, have felt the pain of loss. It is a really, really freaky time. Um, I, I, you know, at some levels, I said if if a bank will probably never do it because of the way they assess risk, right? But if I could borrow a, if I could if I could borrow money against a, an, ET, an ETF and index with no margin call, and I could borrow X percent of it and pay it off over time, and if the rate was low enough relative to the long term returns, I'd probably do it. But you can't get that off that product because no one believes it can be offered. None of the banks will offer it. Mm. They don't want to do it without a margin call. They want to make sure they've got your money if they can get to it. And so I, I, I get the intellectual appeal. Mathematically, theoretically, it, actually, it, it even works, right? There's a very, very, very good chance the long-term return on shares is going to exceed your cost of borrowing by definition. But the chance that something goes wrong and you get a margin call or you get freaked out or simply circumstances happen, right? You have the car blow up. You need the money. Uh, you die and your kids sell the shares. You know, wh- whatever happened. I'm not. I'm not, uh, I'm not. I'm not hoping for that for you. Um, but you know, the chances that these things go wrong is just way, way too high. So, uh, for, I, I get the attractiveness of margin loans. I get the theoretical idea. Uh, but Buffett, and just a quick Buffett quote. He t- he says that a lo- he talks about long-term capital management that went broke. And he said people gambled what they had and needed for what they didn't have and didn't need. Mm. And I think that's a really, really strong thing. If you've got enough money to be invested and to, to have the capital to be able to take advantage of a margin loan, there's every chance that capital by itself, added to regularly, is going to compound to a really, really nice amount over time without the risk of a margin call. Adding risk to your life, adding risk to your financial life in that circumstance, I just, again, I get it. I really, really understand the intellectual appeal, but you're gambling with what you have and you need and frankly will give you a nice, comfortable retirement 
for something you don't really have and don't really need. The extra couple of hundred grand you might make would be great, but it's probably going to cost you money. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We got a question from Stephen, and Stephen asked us, he said, hi guys, love the podcast. There's a theme here, Doc. Mm-hmm. You notice that? You'd love it. There you go. Love it. You know, we're, we're famous here. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. So Steve says, I've got a question about Labor's franking credit proposal. They will not be passing on franking credits for retirees with no taxable income. If you have a share portfolio outside super earning, say, 40 grand a year, wouldn't you still have a taxable income and therefore nothing changes? Is this any different with your super? Cheers, Stephen. Do you want me to take this one, Doc? I'll let you take this. <laughs> this, so look, is, this is beyond my bailiwick. We've, so. we've talked a lot about SMSFs. We've talked a lot about yes. franking credits. And I, I'm on, I, we're trying to get overly political here. Where I'm unabashedly happy to, to, be, to, be, to have a view on policy, but we try and avoid politics. Mm. Um, I think Labor is doing a great job in a whole lot of areas. I think they're doing a terrible job in a whole lot of areas. And this is one of the latter. Um, this policy is just a horrible, horrible, horrible policy where they are choosing a tax treatment based on the source of your income, i.e. dividends, as opposed to your income in general, like rent or interest or something else, they're going to take a different approach to the taxable nature of your income if it's coming from dividends. I think it's an awful, awful policy. It's horribly ill thought through. It's either trying to be populist or it's lazy or it's, you know, or it's inconsidered or, or all three, ill-considered or all three. Um, so the first thing first, I think the policy is terrible. I'm all if, if, if a government of either stripe believe that super should be taxed more highly, then tax super. Don't just tax dividends. That's the, it's, it's a very, very silly approach. It makes no sense. That being said, Stephen, you didn't ask about what I thought about it. You asked what would come next. Um, mate, you're exactly right. So this is the thing. You're, uh, what what Labor are, are talking about is banning the refund of franking credits where those credits are in excess of any tax you pay. So in a very simple example, and I'll use very simple numbers, if I earn 10 grand a year in, in, um, in dividends uh, and I get two grand a year in taxable uh, in franking credits, if I, have, if I pay no other tax, today I would get that two grand back as a credit hmm. and I'd have 12 grand in income. In under Labor's policy, I earn my ten grand of income. The two grand of refundable franking credits I simply wouldn't receive. They simply say, no, nope, you're not getting any money back from the ATO. Any money you get from dividends is yours, but you're not getting the tax back. And so, in that circumstance, and again, they've made some changes for uh, for retirees, for low income earners. And so, the numbers do vary a little bit. And I won't try and be specific. This is not an audio podcast. Is not the place to talk through banks of numbers and tables. Um, but broadly, if you are due a refund now. You run the risk of losing that refund if it's in excess of the amount of tax you pay. Remembering, of course, it doesn't really matter what your taxable income is in that environment because right now, if you pay, if you were otherwise going to pay no tax, you would get that money back from the ATO. In the new world, you simply wouldn't get it back. And so if you meet those criteria, you will have less money in your back pocket over the course of a year under Labor's policy than the current policy. And again, I don't want to be party political about it. It happens to be a Labor policy. I don't really care whose it is. Um, but un- under that proposed policy, you simply end up with less money. And so if you're now, if you're paying tax, you can offset it against it. So that's different. But if you're in a tax-free environment, and for most retirees, including the seniors tax offset and a whole lot of other stuff, I think that goes up to 30 or 35 grand. You currently would get money back from the government. You won't get it back under that policy. As I said, it's, it's a crappy policy because... Right now, if you get uh, tax, uh, so if you get rent or interest, you can you can declare that, that that's not that's not counted. You don't get double taxed on that. 
but the government is saying you'll be double taxed on dividends if you're otherwise due a refund. And that is just really, really poor policy. I've reached out on Twitter a couple of times to Chris Bowen and Bill Shorten. Um, I may actually give them a call, mate, this week and see if I can organise a meeting on behalf of the fool and see if we can have a chat with them. I don't imagine they're going to listen, but you never know. Um, as I said, if they think super is, is undertaxed, and frankly, I think it probably is in terms of its sustainable nature as, a, as part of the tax system, then they should be taxing people who earn more than X dollars in super, an appropriate amount of money. But it shouldn't matter whether that comes from dividends or interest or rent or anything else. It should be a matter of how much money they earn. That do us, you reckon, mate? Mm-hmm. All right. That wraps us up. Before we go, don't forget, as always, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. We still haven't found a Microsoft app, but you never know. We might one day. And if you like what we're doing, please do give us a five-star rating on one of those platforms and tell your friends. Send them a link. Leave us a review. Just fly the Motley Fool flag a little bit for us and help them get some foolish insight and some foolish goodness too. Don't forget, you can also get some for yourself at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.